looking forward to getting into my message this morning. If I've never met you before, my name is Chris Massey. I'm another one of the pastors here at Family Life Church where we believe that Jesus is the hope for every life. Do you believe that this morning? He is the hope for every life. And that's why we proclaim Jesus. We don't proclaim 10 steps to a better you. We don't proclaim Dr. Phil's get over your stinking thinking. We proclaim Jesus. All right? Because Jesus is the hope for every life. It's not any thought in your mind that you're going to change. It's not any 10 or 12 step program that you're going to go through. It's Jesus. And that's why we we speak the name of Jesus in in our midst and as we preach, as we teach, as we worship in everything we do. God is worthy. I'm a little excited. Can you tell I'm a little excited? Man, I'm just, I'm excited. I'm excited to get into the Word this morning. Exciting for this this series that we're kicking off today um, on a man named Abraham. Not Abraham Lincoln, not even Jim Abraham, wherever he's at. Uh, we're going to talk, oh, there, he's in the back, not Jim Abraham. Whenever I, Jim Abraham is in the back over there, you can see him, he's one of our board members. Do me a favor, whenever you see him, greet him as Father Abraham, that's what I always do. Just, <laughs> welcome Father Abraham. Uh, no, we're going to speak about a man from the, the Old Testament, one of the first patriarchs, right? The, the beginning of what it looked like to serve and follow God starts with this man, Abraham. He's the first one who has to, by faith, just go and trust God. And here's the reality. As he's on his faith journey trusting God, he doesn't even have the benefit of something we have, right? Because if we're on a faith journey, we can study Abraham. We're like, okay, you make it, right? God's a God of promise. God does. Abraham has none of this, all right? And in fact, he's not even cool enough to be Abraham yet. He's still Abram, all right? So we're going to introduce him this morning as Abram. And I want to share with you who Abram is. So here's Abram. He was born in 2000 BC in Ur of the Chaldeans. Anybody ever visit there before? No, okay. That's in modern day Syria. And then he and his family, they travel and live in Haran, which is in modern day Turkey. And he lived at home. Listen to this, parents. If you've got children at home that you're like, I wonder when they're going to move out. He lived at home with his daddy until the age of 75. Just want to speak a blessing. <laughs> Lord, wings for those children. Wings. <laughs> if you've got a child that's living at home, I, I just, okay, Lord, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. If you're not at 75 yet, hold on. God's still good, all right? Uh, his wife's name was Sarai, and he had zero children. So just to kind of paint a picture of who this guy is, right? He's just an average Joe, an everyday guy. He's living in the land, and we make light of him living with his family, but this is how things were done for centuries and millennia. Families stuck together. It provided security. It provided kinship, and, and, and it was just the way it worked. The grandparents who became the patriarchs lived with their kids and their grandkids and their great-grandkids, and, and it was just that family unit. And God speaks to Abram in the midst of what he's going through. We're going to read that in Genesis chapter 12 this morning. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. If not, we have some in the pews. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. It's super easy to find, all right? So Genesis chapter 12, where we're going to read about what God did in Abram's life. So here's what it says in verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, And go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families. Can you say all? 
all the families on earth will be blessed through you. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So we have Abram, 75 years old, still living with mom and dad, all right? God gets a hold of him and says, hey, Abram, it's time for you to go out into the place that I have for you. I'm sending you away from your family, away from security, away from what you've always known, outside of your plan, into a plan that I have for you. And here's why, because I've got a promise for you, Abram. You don't know it yet, but I've got a promise for you. So Abram leaves living on a promise. All he's got is God telling him, you'll know when you get there, right? How many of you when you travel, your kids are like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? (laughs) Abram is fortunate, no kids yet. So he can make this journey without them asking repeatedly, dad, are we there yet? Dad, are we there yet? Maybe Sarai was asking, I don't know. But he, he didn't know. He had no idea where he was going. All he had was God telling him, go, leave, and when you get there, you'll know you're there. And so within a matter of a couple verses here, we see something drastically changed. We just read verses one through three, and suddenly by verse seven, uh, Abram has traveled several hundred miles. Isn't the Bible awesome like that, that you're just like, it seems like things happen so rapidly. Three verses later, Abram is several hundred miles away from Haran, down in a place called Canaan, okay? And so this is where the Lord reappeared to him. So in verse uh, seven, it says this. The Lord appeared to Abram in Canaan and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abraham built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now I want to just take this in for a second of what the reality is of what's going on. Abram leaves his family, leaves his dad's house, leaves everything he's got, goes to a land. He has no idea where he is, or it's not like he GPSed his way there, put in Canaan, get me to the tree of memory right? He ends up there and God tells him literally, I want you to look to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west. And as far as you can possibly see, I'm going to give that land to you for your descendants. Abram has no descendants. Okay, God, I don't know if we need to take a step back. Um, You may have noticed, I ain't got none of those. How are you going to give this land, right? I'm one man. I'm not here with a conquering army. I didn't come to overthrow this land and this nation. How are you going to make this land belong to the children that I don't have and I'm already 75 and I just left home for the first time? Right? Let's, let's bring it to life. That's what's going on here for Abram. And in the middle of promise, Abram does something that I think is so spectacular that we need to learn from. He lives in his promise as a foreigner. Not the band, that's something different. He might have been like sitting there going, I want to know what love is. I hope you can show. No, he didn't do that. I'm kidding. That was wrong on a lot of levels. It's not the band, all right? He's a foreigner. And think about it in these terms. I know you're impressed. It's okay. We're going to move on. It's like, man, he got that upper octave. That was, we'll talk later, it's fine. Abram had to leave home and go sit in his promised land and then spend the rest of his life living in his promise as a foreigner. The rest of his life, he sat in his promise as a foreigner. It didn't belong to him. 
He himself would never possess that land. He would never see it. In fact, let me, I'll help you with simple math right here. It's going to be 750 years until his great, 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 you know what I mean, grandchildren go into this place and take possession of it. Abram himself lived his entire life as a foreigner in God's promise. Just think about that for a second. And, and, and what he had to go through and what he had to do because you know, he's not yet experiencing it. And, and I love this because this is something in theology, I've mentioned it before. It's called the already not yet. All right? The already not yet. Let me, let me put it in these terms. Jesus has already paid for your salvation. He has given you the ability to accept him as, his, as Lord and Savior. You live your life for him. Your, your ticket to heaven is already paid for, but you're not there yet. Right? Check your neighbor. I don't know. Some of you look sleepy. Just, you're not there yet. You've received the promise. It's yours. You own it, but you've not yet taken possession of it. There will come a day when you take your final breath here on earth. You will exit from here to enter into eternity. As uh, Romans 5 tells us, that we will be absent from the body and be present with God. Right? We're going to go to be with him. And then that's where we're going to say, Okay, I've received now what God said he promised to me. He already paid for it, but it's not mine yet. And Abram is the very first person in history to have to just trust God and sit in the middle of his own promise as a foreigner. Okay, God, this is my land. You're giving it to my descendants that I don't have. This is great. And he lives the rest of his life that way. In fact, after this promise, let me go through a couple of things here that he has to go through on his journey. He goes a little further south and settles near Bethel. He has to leave because there's a famine. Then he travels to Egypt and he has to pretend that he's his wife's brother so he doesn't get killed by the Egyptians. Can you imagine that conversation? <sighs> Babe, I need you to pretend to be my sister because you're really pretty. And the Egyptians will kill me and take you if we go in there. So just pretend I'm your brother, okay? Can you imagine having that conversation with your wife? This is literally what he had to do in order to stay alive. A whole lot of stuff that happens there. We can't get into all of that. Returns to Bethel and has to end up separating from his only remaining family. When he left his father's home, he took his nephew, Lot, with him. That was the only family that he had. They go back, and God's blessing them so much that the land can no longer support him and Lot. So they have to part ways. He, le he loses the, the last remaining part of his family. Then he's forced to go and rescue his nephew Lot from being destroyed by invading raiders, and he spends the rest of his life waiting for a promise he himself would never see. Never. I think that we can get caught up in that idea, and, and I'd say this with absolute certainty because I know that this guy's the same way. Don't we often ask, like, what's in it for me? I mean, we might not say that out loud, right? Because we're, we're better than that, right? But in our thinking, that's what comes out. It's like, okay, God's given me the promise. God's given me the direction. God's given me, but what's in it for me, God? What are you doing in me? You, you gave me this promise, but then you want me to live as a foreigner in the middle of my promise for the rest of my life. And, and again, God blessed him in a couple things here. He provided for him. He protected him. He blessed him. He gave him victories and battles. He continually tells him, your struggle is not without purpose. I have a purpose. I have a plan because I love you. I see you. And, and just to prove to him time and time again that he's good, that he loves him, and that he has a plan. 
And, and God just continues to pour this out to him. I'm good, I love you, and I have a plan. You've just got to keep trusting me. And so we see Abram, who's in this place of trusting God, living as a foreigner in the middle of his own promise, and, and for the rest of his life is going to be there, and it's never going to happen. Here, and here's what we read about Abram in Hebrews chapter 11. This is a portion of the Bible where we hear of what's called the Hall of Faith, all right? You've heard of the Hall of Fame? Like, these are the people of faith, that if there was a Hall of Fame for believers, they'd be in this Hall of Fame. And Abram's mentioned. Here's what it says about him in verses 8 and 9. It was by faith that Abram, Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And then listen to this. And so did Isaac, his son, and Jacob, his grandson, who inherited the same promise. Abram leaves everything to obey God, lives as a foreigner in his promise, and then has the audacity to put his kid on his knee and say, it's okay, God's got a plan. This land that you see, all going to be yours someday. Then his grandkids come along and he bounces them on his knee. You know what? Don't worry. I, God's got a plan for you. And you know, we can write off grandparents sometimes, right? We're like, oh, grandpa's lost it. He's saying we're going to be inheriting all of this stuff. It's okay. Yeah, grandpa, that's good. He continues to give him the promise, and here's exactly what it speaks to us in the book of Hebrews, is that even though Abram himself received the promise, he didn't get to live it, his son didn't get to live it, his grandson didn't get to live it. In fact, it isn't for, like I said before, 750 years before even one of his descendants goes into this promised land that God says that he's going to give to them. And, and he himself never saw it, never experienced it, but if he had not been faithful... It never would have happened. It never would have happened. And, and I just want to give you a, a point here with maybe just a little bit of dad humor, okay? Sometimes God's plan is intense. First service, it took one person in particular a really long time to get that. We literally had moved on and somebody goes, <laughs> yes. Sometimes... God's plan is intense. Yes, there's an intensity to living on the edge of what God has in store for you. Think about Abraham, who had to be told, I don't, you're not even going to know until you get there, and then I'll tell you that that's where you are. And even though I gave it to you, and I've already said that it's yours, and you don't have any kids, you're going to live in it, but it's not going to be yours. You won't take possession until 750 years later when your great-grandkids move in. Why? I'm going to live in a tent? My kid's going to live in a tent. My grandkids are going to live in tents. Oh, by the way, in fact, God tells him point blank, and we're not going to read this, but he tells him point blank, he says, oh, and also sometime between now and you getting the promised land, your kids are going to go into captivity and they're going to live in slavery for 400 years. Like, if God is laying this plan out, right, and he's like, hey, here's my plan, and we're all like, okay, God, give it to me. I want to hear the plan. I want to hear the whole thing. All right, you're not going to be able to live it. Okay. What's the plan? Oh, and also your sons. Okay. Or your grandsons. Okay. And your great-grandchildren are going to be slaves. Okay, God, what's the plan again? Where are you going with this? I thought you said you had a plan. God revealing to him time and time again, he says, I'm good. I love you. And I have a plan. I'm good. I love you. I have a plan. 
And here's the reality of Abram's life. If he had not been faithful, none of it would have happened. And you know, I think to myself, in the here and now, in my moments of weakness that we all have, where's that temptation creeps in to ask, what's in it for me? And sometimes that answer isn't satisfied. Is it enough to rest on the promise of God that says, maybe this promise that I've already received isn't for me. Maybe it is for my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids. And, and you know, to think of what his descendants actually experienced later in life, to go into that promise and take possession of it, none of that happens if not for one man who just says, I'll be faithful because God said so and not because I'm seeing it unfold in front of my eyes. I'll be faithful just because it's God who said it. And I believe him. I believe that he's good. I believe that he loves me. And I believe that he has a plan. And, and here's why. Because I ask myself this question. Why go through it? Like if I'm trying to convince Abraham, like if you or I could sit down with him as he's under the tree, the oak of Mamre, right? And he's sitting in, in, in this land and you're going to tell him, listen, you're going to have to make some incredible sacrifices because God has a plan, but you're never going to see the plan, and neither will your son or your grandchildren, um, even your great-grandchildren. None of them are going to see it. There will actually be some slavery, some bad things that's going to happen, but eventually, 750 years from now, God's going to deliver on his promise. Have anybody in here waited that long yet? 750 years from now, God's going to fulfill his promise. I can't imagine, and, and even if Abram had known any and all of that, the question, why go through it? But we see the answer right here in Hebrews chapter 10, 11, verse 10. This is what it says about Abram after his, his choice to trust God. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Why did he do this? wasn't for himself it wasn't for that nagging part of him that's like well what do I get out of this I had to leave everything behind and I'm living in the desert now and I'm I'm struggling against enemies and all of he confidently looked forward to a city with eternal foundations what's that mean he realized in that moment my life my decision to follow Jesus echoes into eternity, not just for me, but for my family, my children, my grandchildren, my community, the world around me. My obedience is going to shape the world. Just as God said to him in his very first calling, all the nations of the world will be blessed because of your faithfulness. If I were to tell you this morning, you just obey God and all the nations of the world will be blessed because of your obedience. Your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your great-great-great-grandchildren, your family tree is going to branch out in a hundred different directions, but every branch is going to wrap its arms around Jesus and embrace him for who he is. Wouldn't you say for yourself, I don't care what I've got to go through if that's going to be the outcome, I'll take it. I'll take it. I want my kids, my grandkids, my great... I want 150 years down the road, if Jesus hasn't returned, I want them to still be serving Jesus. And church, God doesn't have any favorites. God doesn't look at Abraham and say, well, I love Abraham. I'm going to be good to Abraham. And I have a plan for Abraham. Uh, but for the rest of you guys, you know, work that out. No, God says, I know the plans that I have for you. In Jeremiah 29, 11, plans to prosper you, to give you hope, to make you into a great nation, a people of God. I'm calling you out and setting you apart. I have a plan for you. 
I love the way that Jesus states this, and this is something that is very personal to me because I've been through seasons where I've just had to trust God. Can I just be honest with you? It's not easy. I don't know if you've had other pastors tell you, uh, just trust God. You just trust Him. It always works out. Can I tell you, sometimes it's really hard to just trust God. I want to be open about that. It's hard. But I remember I came across this verse it's about three years ago, I had, before I had ever preached a single sermon uh, in this church, my family and I, we came here to visit. We were staying at the Holiday Inn over on Route 80. I'm sitting in the courtyard doing my devotions that morning, and I'm reading, and I come across this statement that Jesus makes to Peter that just hit me like a ton of bricks. And it's John 13, 7. It says this, Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. I'm like, well, God, you got that right. I have no idea what you're doing. In fact, if I'm going to be honest, Lord, you're not making a whole lot of sense right now. Why would you do this? Why are you, what, what, what do you have in store? But just backing up and leaning on the promise and saying, God, I, I don't know what you're doing. But I'm going to believe for an eternal city. I'm going to believe for an eternal promise. I'm going to believe in a good God who says he's good, who loves me and has a plan for me. I want to lean into that and, and trust that God is who he says he is. And if I live my life according to what he's asked me to do, that maybe I, I mean, some people do, right? Don't we encounter people that it's like, man, they wake up in the morning and the Lord just blesses their breath. They wake up and it's just like, oh, the love of Jesus is just, they don't even have to brush. It's like, they're just so blessed. That is no one in my family. I'll tell you right now. That was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. We all brush our teeth. I just want to be clear. <laughs> Some people we look at and it's like, man, it just everything happens for them. They get all these blessings. Every time they turn around, God's just blessing and blessing and it's good. Can I tell you, I'm, this is my 21st year in ministry. I have yet to come across one person in 21 years of ministry who has ever told me following Jesus has been so easy. I've never met one person who has told me that. They've all told me it's been hard. And a lot of them have told me it's been worth it. It's been worth it. I came across a devotional several months ago, maybe a month ago, by Charles Spurgeon. And he said, let me tell you how to, to know if you are healthy in your relationship with God. A healthy person when asked about their relationship with God, recounts all the sacrifice of everything that God has done for them and the way Jesus suffered and died on the cross. Whereas an unhealthy Christian talks about all that they've had to sacrifice and give up for God. Was it God or was it me? Did I do it? Church, we need to be in that place of just obedience. Can I tell you this morning, maybe for a lot of you who are in here jump on the same bus I'm on some days. God, I don't understand what you're doing. I trust you. I trust you because you're good. You love me and you have a plan. And I want to tell you that because that's the reality of what God says in his word about you, about your family, about your future, that he's good, he loves you, and he has a plan. And, and there's going to be a lot of times and temptations. I'm sure that Abram faced a hundred of them. 
Because when he was 75 and this happened, he had to live for another 100 years. He was a middle-aged 75. He lived to 175. But for the next 100 years, having to just go through thing after thing after thing and just have to sit back and say, God, I know you're good. I know you love me. I know you have a plan. God, I know you're good. I know you love me. I know you have a plan. And church, can I just encourage you, whatever you're facing in your own lives and that that temptation, that nagging temptation that comes in to just begin to ask, well, what's in it for me? Why aren't I getting to see the good? Why aren't I getting to... Can, Can you just confront those moments of your life and say, God, God loves me. He's good and he's got a plan. When, when, when you have to stare that in the face when things aren't good, God loves me, He's good, and He has a plan. And I may not understand it. And, and here's the reality. Abram went to the grave and did not fully get to see what God had in store for his, through his obedience. It wouldn't be for generations later until that happened. But I believe this. If one person in this room we're willing to live with that kind of faith, it could bless the world. If 10 people were willing to live with that kind of faith, it could bless the world. It could change the world just because we take hold and really truly believe in our hearts. God is good. He loves me. And He has a plan. And I don't have to have all the answers. I don't need to know what's going on. I've just got to trust Him. Even if I have to live as a foreigner in my own promise, I'm going to trust him. Even if I feel like I'm stuck living in a temporary tent instead of what I thought God was promising me, I'm going to trust him. Even if I have to watch my kids or my grandkids live through that, I'm going to trust him. Lord, I believe that you are good. I believe that you love me, and I believe you have a plan for my life. Church, I don't say that flippantly. It's hard. I'm sorry if you've ever been in a tough situation in life and somebody looked you in the eyes and their advice for you was, well, you just gotta, you just gotta believe. You just gotta trust God. Just, just trust God. I don't know, if you've been through one of those seasons, that just is huge. Just trust God. I don't say flippantly that that's easy. But I do tell you this. It's worth it. It's worth it. And if you'd live faithfully, I believe that God will do awesome things to bless the world through your obedience because he's the only one who can turn faithfulness into fruitfulness. He turns it into fruitfulness because you obeyed him. We're going to get ready to celebrate communion together in a moment. But I want to give you this last thought as we take communion together. God's plan is bigger than here and now. God's plan is bigger than here and now. He sees into a future that we don't yet see. He he himself has great things in store. And and I want to encourage you that as we take communion together, to lean into a reality that maybe we've forgotten in some cases. God, I still believe that you're good. I still believe that you love me. I still believe that you have a plan for me. I believe it, God. I profess it. I I covenant with you. And as I remember your sacrifice for me, I remember that you paid for something that's bigger than here and now. You paid for my future and for my family and my children and my marriage and my health. And into however far it goes into the future, God, I trust you. I trust you. And I don't say that flippantly, church, but I believe that with God, it is possible. So if I could ask my board members to come into place, we're going to get ready to serve this morning. If you could come down these two uh, middle aisles here, and then after you've been served, you can go out around the outside or back up the middle here.
and we'll wait until everyone has been served to take communion together. Please hear me in this. We don't do this because it's tradition. We don't do this just because it's a ceremony. We do this because God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son to die on a cross for us. And he himself epitomizes this idea. What's in it for me? Nothing. I get to physically go through the sting of death, but in doing so, I pay for an entire world, a generation to know and have relationship with God. And that's who we celebrate as we take communion together. So why don't you begin to make your way and then we'll, we'll take time together toward the end to be able to take this together.
blessed can uh, take your seat right now as we just focus in on this um, this moment together. I was just challenged by uh, somebody who asked the question, uh, and I want to challenge you with this question as well. If you were to face Jesus today, on a scale of 1 to 10, how confident would you be that he would say, welcome in? How confident would you be on a scale of 1 to 10 that 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 Jesus would say to you, you are welcomed into eternity with me. You're welcome into heaven. One to 10. Think about that for a second. The thing is, um, I, I had something planned here, but actually just in first service, uh, hearing about the, the story of Abraham really just focused my heart on, on one thing. I love this story about Abraham because it's it's so unique and it's, it's so it's so speaks to the idea and the sacrifice and the necessity of Jesus in our lives. The beauty of that question, scale one to 10, how confident are you that you would be welcomed into heaven? I, I, when I first answered that question, I'm just to be honest with you, I said nine. Because I just don't know. If there's one thing I'm not doing right, if there's one thing I'm doing wrong, I just don't know. But what this, this guy said is that if you are anywhere from one through nine, that means that you are not fully confident and trusting in the work of Jesus Christ to cover you. And it has something to do. You believe that you might have something to do with your eternity with God. And in reality, that's not even sort of true. You have nothing to do with that. And today, as we celebrate communion, we're reminding ourselves that it's not on us. It's not on what we do. It's 100% on what Jesus has done for us. And this story of, of Abraham is so cool. The Apostle Paul is, is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit recounting this story to the Roman church. And he, he, uh, he says it in Romans chapter 4, 3 through 5. He says, For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, 
Their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Today, our righteousness, our, 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 our view of God to him is not based on anything we can do or not based on anything we cannot do. It's based solely on the work of Jesus Christ. So today we're not celebrating something of God. God, I hope one day I'm good enough to to be good enough to be in heaven with you. Jesus is saying that's absolutely not true. Today, all we're doing is reminding ourselves of the 100% covering that Jesus Christ's sacrifice means for you as a Christian. That he covers everything. He covers your past, your present, and your future. And so today, we're reminded ourselves that we can't do anything that's ever going to make God love us more or make God love us less. There's nothing that we can do that could separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Because it's not on us, it's on God. So, and and I love it because the Apostle Paul continues at the end of that chapter in Romans 4. He says, and when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too. Assuring that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. That's the only thing we need to do. The one, we believe in him, the one Jesus our Lord raised from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. There's nothing we could do that could separate us from Jesus' love because it's not on us. It's not based on our works. It's based solely on Jesus' sacrifice for us. So today when we, when we think about communion, we take communion together, we, we are thinking about, man, it's not my works that saves me. It's not what I can do that makes me better. It's only based on Jesus Christ and his work on our lives. So Jesus, we just thank you that it's only by you that we can be saved. It's only by you that we can be welcomed in. God, I thank you that when you see us, that you don't see our sin, you see Jesus' sacrifice. I thank you that when you see us, you don't see the things that we've done wrong, but God, you've seen, you see the covering of Jesus's blood on our lives. Thank you that we can be confident that we can see you because it's based solely on you. So thinking about communion, reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says this, the apostle Paul says, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when Jesus was betrayed. He took some bread. He gave thanks for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, I thank you so much for the sacrifice of your body. Lord, that it's your your body that took our sin on it. God, I thank you that we don't have to bear our sin by ourselves. But God, you did it for us. And God, I thank you that we can continue to put our sin and our shortcomings on you. Because you can handle it. You took it for us for all time. Jesus, we thank you for your body. Thank you, Jesus. Let's take the the bread together.
In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, we thank you that when we take this cup, Lord, we're reminding ourselves of your sacrifice, that it's your blood in our veins. Lord, that it's you who lives on the inside of us. God, it's not our works that make us right in front of you. God, it's only by the sacrifice of Jesus that we can stand in front of of God and know that we are 100% confident that we can see you forever. Thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice that you made for us on the cross, that we can be one with you forever. God, I thank you that when we have you, we have your anointing. We have your power. God, that you give us your Holy Spirit, not that we can just have eternity with you, but we can experience your power and your transformation right now. Thank you, Jesus, that you did it for us when we didn't deserve it. Thank you, God. Let's take the cup together. God, we thank you so much for this sacrifice. God, we thank you that you took our place. We thank you that it's only by you that we can have eternal life. God, I thank you that we can be confident in that that you are covering us, that it's your sacrifice that, that covers us, that it's your blood that runs through our veins. We thank you so much for who you are. And God, we celebrate the fact that it's you who did it for us. God, it's nothing, there's nothing we can do to earn more of your favor or more of your love. But God, you did it already for us on the cross. And we thank you that because your resurrection, we can have power with you and we can live with you forever. God, we thank you for that. You are so good. In your name we pray. Amen. Can we stand up and celebrate together? that Jesus Christ died and rose again for us. Come on, can we celebrate that? That he has power in our life. Jesus Messiah this morning just for being able to be here today God to recognize that you are a good God that you love us that you have a plan for us God Lord even when times get difficult and we're kind of scratching our heads trying to figure out the way you already provided it for us God Lord I pray that as we go our separate ways today Lord that we would go in confidence this morning knowing that we've been with you. Just go before us today, God. Help us to take you into this world with us. Pray you keep us safe. In Jesus' name, we pray. God's people said amen. Hey, before you leave, I just want to remind you that our prayer team will be here this morning. If you have need in your life, feel free to come forward and be prayed for. 
Um, other than that, have joy the rest of your weekend. Amen. <laughs>